Hey guys, welcome back. Today I am asking the question, what are casting directors really looking for in auditions and callbacks? I am super thankful that I was able to sit down with Jacole Kitchen from the La Jolla Playhouse here in San Diego. She's their casting director. And she really gave us some honest and enlightening answers to my questions. And I know this is going to be super helpful for actors that are out there auditioning right now in the current climate, and also for teachers and professors who you want to make sure that your students are up to date on what is expected of them in an audition situation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Cori Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hey, friends. So you're about to hear the interview that I did with Jacole Kitchen, but I just want to let you know sort of like, why am I having her on this podcast? She's a casting director. She's worked on the West Coast and on the East Coast. And um, I just find it fascinating that we are constantly teaching students what to do in auditions and what to do in callbacks, but we rarely get the chance to like actually ask the casting directors themselves what are you expecting? What are you looking for? What makes a really good audition? What should what are things that we should be staying away from? Um, you know, how much does song choice matter to you? Are you listening for high notes? All of that kind of stuff. Like I've picked it up by osmosis, sort of, like listening in as I'm playing piano for an audition or as I'm, you know, on the creative team and paying attention to what the casting director and the director are talking about. Um, but I have never had the opportunity to just straight up ask my questions. So that's what we're going to do today. Let me just set you up with her, um, with her bio. So you have a little bit of background information because I know you who are listening, you're not all from San Diego. You're from all over the world. So Jacole Kitchen is the director of arts engagement and in-house casting at the La Jolla Playhouse. She spearheads numerous community-based programs, working closely with San Diego veterans and other communities who are underserved in theater arts. She is the resident casting director, working in tandem with the New York casting offices for La Jolla Playhouse Productions, which includes their six-show season, their pop tour, and various developmental workshops and readings. In addition, Jacole is an educator and private coach for acting, auditions, and professional development. Uh, formerly, she was a bi-coastal talent agent at Kazarian Spencer Ruskin, specializing in professional theater actors, directors, and choreographers. You can see her full bio in the description of this podcast episode, but for now, let's get to the interview. Jacole, thank you for being here. It's so nice to see your beautiful face. Um, thank you for making time to be a guest on the show. Thank you so much, Corey. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so I just gave a little introduction about who you are, what you do, um, and I wanted 
in your own words to share a little bit. Um, you work at the La Jolla Playhouse, which I think is sort of labeled as like a pre-Broadway house. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work that's produced there is is on its way possibly to going to New York. And that's sort of the goal. And you are currently the, I wrote this down, you're the cast in-house casting director and also um, the director of arts engagement. Is that right? That's right. right. That's okay, right. So yes. tell us a little bit about what is it that La Jolla Playhouse does that is sort of unique? And then what is your role there? Sure. Um, interesting. I, the introduction that you gave of La Jolla Playhouse that were a, uh, uh, that many of our shows, that were a pre-Broadway house and many of our shows go on to Broadway. Um, it's really a very small percentage of what we do that is even considered in that realm. One of the beautiful things about La Jolla Playhouse is we are a um, an institution that is dedicated to new works or reimagined uh, works. If we're going to do a version of a classic, it's going to be an interesting reimagined new, uh, newly thought version. But as far as the being a pre-Broadway, it is very exciting. Like there was one point this year, uh, or last year, excuse me, that we had two different Broadway shows that were streaming on uh, streaming services with Diana and Come From Away, both being on two different streaming services. Yes, we you know, that we're a Tony award-winning theater, but doing those big commercial musicals that come with commercial enhancement that are going to be higher tickets that are going to be a more sought after ticket. It's those productions that really allow us to make space for the Cambodian rock bands to do Ike Holter's play, Put Your House in Order, to be able to support commissions like Keith Bunin, which brought us Coast Starlight. You know, these are really smaller, more beautiful, intimate productions of things that we're really excited about. And not that we don't get excited about the the big commercial musicals, the big, you know, Broadway flash of it all. But that allows us to do kind of the nitty gritty work, the the work that is going to bring new um, playwrights of color to to the forefront that's going to have built in places for actors of color, because that's just the nature of where a lot of new works and these playwrights and and new theater makers that we're excited about there. It's just a, a brand new space for that. So it's wonderful that the playhouse is well known for the, the shiny big Broadway of it all, but it's, it's exciting to think about what that allows us to create. And I would love for that to be a little bit more at the forefront as well. Because you do get, you know, you can put me on a soapbox, but a lot of times I look at the reviews of some of our, our or not even the reviews, but our, what do you call it? Survey, survey results, audience surveys. Yeah. And people say things like, this is not ready for Broadway. Okay, <laughs> well, it was never intended for Broadway. This is a brand new play that had three weeks of rehearsal as we're all trying to figure out the words and the staging and the who and the what of it all. Mm-hmm. And we're excited to be able to put this on the stage in front of you because that's who it's intended for. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the shift in the narrative that might be coming soon. That's fantastic. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, I think that's so important that you are cultivators of new work and that you provide opportunity for 
um, emerging voices from all different walks of life, all sort of creatives, right? And it's it's not always that we go see theater with the expectation that it is shiny and perfect and ready, right, for the most perfect iteration that it will be. There's also the messy figuring it out, refining, editing, and you need an audience to be part of that process and you guys create space for that. So thank you for clarifying that. Um, I think that's helpful also for actors that where you're on their radar as a, a theater that they want to be working with. Um, and as they think about other regional theaters across the US that it's not always perhaps what it seems that there are all these other layers to what they do. Yeah. Um, talk to me about your role as a casting director. I feel like this is, it's such an important role for actors that are coming to audition, that want to work, that want to make a living do the, doing this, but there's not always access to ask all the questions that you want to ask. Yeah. And I feel like today is a time where I can be a voice for those people. And I'm curious because I've learned things by osmosis, by being in the room, watching what happens, you know, as an accompanist behind the piano or as a music director and seeing like how a director responds to something. There's conversations behind the table, um, who ends up ultimately getting cast. But I want to just like put the questions out to you, you know, and like see what would you tell me the answers are. So first, what the heck does a casting director do in the process of making a musical or, you know, a play? Uh, the casting director is the organizer of the casting process. And it, we're like the producers of the casting process because a producer's job is to make sure that all of the people who need to be in the right place are doing the thing. But with casting, it that was a really weird comparison to make. You can edit that out later. Um, so a casting, we are the we're the managers of the casting process from beginning to end. And so the very first piece is making sure that um, we have an understanding or making sure that I have an understanding of what the director is looking for as far as the overall look of the play and feel of the play, but also for each individual character. So a big part of the job before um, even names are put on lists is who are these people? What do you want them to be? When we start breathing life into these characters on the page, what do you feel that essence being? So a lot of times it's just getting on the phone with the, the director and members of the creative team and just talking through who these people are. And then once we have that understanding, then we start making lists that start making initial lists, people that we think would be right for this. Uh, we start getting lists from the people that the director thinks would be right for this. Sometimes we have prototype names that we're going off of. But literally, we just start making initial lists and putting putting together, yes. What's a prototype name? Explain that concept. Sure, thank you. Um, I mean, it could be anywhere from the broad, this is a young Charlize Theron. Or this is, you know, if we could get, why is every name going out of my head right now? Um, <laughs> this is a Billy Porter. You know, this is a... Billy Porter when he was 20. Do you think we could actually get Billy Porter? Like those, it, it's, it's, it could be that broad just from throwing out um, names that would be familiar or types that would be familiar right. to everybody just to kind of get us honed in on the same page. 
And sometimes it literally is a, ooh, do you think we could get them? And that's where you start, you know? And then if that person's not available, then who are the people in that basic category? Who are the, you know, Greg Jabara types, if you can't get a Greg Jabara, (laughs) you know? Who is the young Alice Ripley? Um, So we really just start putting together those lists and then having those internal conversations. But then the next step is putting out the breakdown so that the initial list is who we think might be right. But then we put out the breakdown and allow for actors to submit. So that's part two of the process is who else is out there that might not have been on the forefront of our minds or on our initial list, but that would be um, interesting choices for the roles. And then uh, as the casting director, we start organizing the sessions and figuring out who can be in town when. A big part of my job as the in-house casting director at the Playhouse is making sure that our local talent gets in front of the directors and the creative teams of the shows coming in as early in the process as possible so that we're not already going in with this list of here's people in New York that I know. And so by the time it comes to San Diego, it's already half cast. So getting a good part of my job is getting this started early and knowing when the directors uh, or producers or members of the team are going to be in the area for other things or starting to say, all right, New York auditions are happening here. We need to have uh, our local auditions happen at this time. We need to get creative teams out. So it's really managing schedules. That's what I mean. I meant when I started to say that it's like the producer of casting because it really is managing a lot of people's schedules. It's managing a lot of people's expectations. It's managing a lot of, you know, there's budget lines and budget expectations and why we want to get local folks into these shows, but there's also community connections because that's the other part of my job that I don't think we're going to talk about here, but that the arts development really is making sure that this San Diego local community, um, even outside of the theater community, is a part of everything that we're doing. Um, And then we have auditions and that's where the actors come in. So that's everything that even happens prior to that. Those people that you talked about on your list that you're making in advance are those people that you're going to call into audition or do they go straight to a callback situation usually? It completely, completely depends. It depends on the show. It depends on how much time I have to cast. It depends on if I'm able to have some sessions prior to bringing the creative team in. It depends on if this is an actor, how well I know this actor as a human, but also how well I know this actor's breadth of work how well I know this actor in this type of work. So there's there's gonna be a gajillion factors that go into it. For the most part, I think the safest thing to say is the people who are on that list are going to be seen in some capacity. Okay. And so it sort of depends on, I mean, obviously if it's somebody that came straight from the director, they will go to the, not always, ooh, not always. Yes. Sometimes the director will actually say, hey, I don't know this person. But I've been told, I've I've heard about them from so-and-so, so-and-so recommended them. Will you pre-screen them? Sure, I will see them. They don't have a relationship yet. But for the most part, people that are coming in on lists from the director are going to be people that the director has a relationship with. So there's no reason for me to pre-screen them. But like I was saying, you know, for me, even though I know this community really well, and if you're somebody that is quote, on that initial list. And 
at the forefront. And half the time, it's not because, oh, I know and I love your work and like, I'm just so familiar with you and I think of you for every single project. It might be because I saw you at Art Walk last week and I was like, oh, Corey, you know? Like, so again, being on the list, it doesn't necessarily mean anything because I thought of you, Corey, for this project and I didn't think of James Jameson. That doesn't say anything about James Jameson. It says more about where I was in that exact moment right. as we're starting to pull names. So I don't, and that'll happen sometimes. And I like to sort of, I never know the word that I'm looking for, but kind of put down some of the actor pressure or actor fears that because this actor got a call before you got a call, that doesn't make you any less valid for that project. It means your name came in at a different part in the process. I, that is so helpful. I, I hear from a lot of people where they'll have gone straight to callback in one scenario and then on another project, they're asked to audition and they feel like it's an affront to, or a, a second guessing of their ability. And what yeah. you said seems like that really clears it up. It's just the names came to you in a different order. And so they got put in a different part of the process. But also I may know you as a musical theater person, but this is like a contemporary, this is rock. I don't, I don't know your voice is rock. So I'm going to have you come in for me and sing pop rock. If this was a different type of musical theater audition, yes, absolutely. I, I know you can do this. I feel confident. I've seen you act it. Yes, I'm going to send you straight to callback. I don't know about your voice for this. Or I know you as a musical theater actor. I don't know how well you handle material material. Or yeah. I know you as an actor, but this is a little bit of a stretch. This is a little bit of a something different. I trust you for this. So I'm, but I'm going to call you, I want to see it first. Right. So there, a, there's a bajillion factors. That's incredibly helpful. And you're really, you know, that first, um, that first eye at people before you get to callbacks, because you do yeah. have to be concerned about time and the creative team is there yes. and you need to use your time wisely in those situations. Absolutely. And it actually is really beneficial. I think for people don't think so. Um, I'm really glad we're having this conversation. I sort of want to like put so much of this on a bullhorn. I should write a book um, because so little of it. Shit, I lost my own train of thought. Um, you got it. It is. Oh, even. Oh, it's actually a benefit. People don't realize this, but it's actually a benefit if they get to come in just for the casting director first. It's a benefit in a number of ways. One, because. I'm probably going to have a little bit more time with you. Two, you're going to get a little bit of insight into the getting to say these words out loud in the room before you have the um, the director in the room. And also, I'm going to know if you're right. So I'm going to know I you're abs I, you're going to absolutely put that best foot forward because you're going to come in with the confidence of oh I've already done this and she knows that I'm right. It's actually quite a benefit. Um, I, I think it gives that's, you more time. Yeah, that's fantastic. And to know that if they see you first in an audition situation and get moved to the callback, that's a really great endorsement from you that like this person is worth you seeing. And that yes. can just, even if you don't end up getting cast as the final, whatever, there's still that confidence of knowing, you know, Jacol or whoever it is. It's like, this person is good enough to be here. And quite honestly, it's a benefit for the team. I didn't realize any of this until I'm saying it out loud, how true it is, but it's also a benefit for the team because half the time, either right before you come in or right after you've left, 
somebody is going to say, did you see them with this before? Have you already screened them? And it's actually not great when I say, no, actually, this is my first time seeing them with the material as well, because exactly what you just said, if I'm able to be like, yes, I saw them in here yesterday and made such interesting choices. Sometimes it's like, I don't even know. I don't know if they're right for this role, but super interesting. I really wanted to get them in front of you. So it's it's actually a benefit to be oh. able to come in for the pre-screen. This is gold. These are like all the questions like. I can't ask you these when we're in the room together, right? Like I'm over at the piano, you're over at the table. We're like looking at each other over the top of the piano, barely seeing each other. Or yeah. we're like at a gala, we're out having drinks or whatever. And like, we're not supposed to talk about work. So this is gold. People are going to love the stuff that you are giving us right now. So let's talk about, um, well, I have two directions I want to go. So let's do this you are putting out notices. Let's talk about these notices. I want to talk about the idea of type in today's climate. Sure. Because there are such things as type, archetypes, right? Mm -hmm. And then there are such things as stereotypes, which sure. we don't necessarily want to pander to. There are such things as vocal types that are required for certain roles. Um, but it's it's perhaps not what it used to be 20 years ago or 50 years ago, not mm -hmm. as cut and dry what the types are. So where, where does type fit into our world right now? I mean, we have actors that are saying, I can do this, 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 and this, I can be anything, um, you know, previously cast roles in this certain way are now being cast in a different way. So what is type in, in today's climate? That's a big question, but what do you have to share with us? It is. It is a big question. And I answer small questions broadly. So I'll do my best <laughs> with this very broad question. Um, I think that the, the you, you touched on a lot of it in the way that you asked the question, that everything is in a lot of ways being turned on its head that is not specific, that is not technically specific. Like vo a vocal, a vocal type is a vocal type. A vocal range is a vocal range. Uh, as we were saying, there's the classic musical theater, there's the pop rock, and there's everything in between. Not everybody that can do West Side Story, can do Hamilton, can do company, can do, you know, it's yeah. it, they're just it's very, very different musical styles. Um, so, but as far as the type of it all, like, I remember back when I was an agent, um, that was my entryway into this, uh, into this part of the industry is being an agent. And I was an assistant before I was an agent. And so my job as an assistant, the agents would fill out the breakdowns. They would give them to me back then. It was literally pulling headshots and resumes and to put in a package would have a messenger send it across town. Or would have to get it UPS to New York overnight, depending. You know, we were, there was some electronic, but anyway, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I spent, my days were literally spent looking at the breakdowns and pulling the headshots and resumes that corresponded with each individual breakdown. And I noticed very early on a trend that if there was no ethnicity specified, it was assumed white. If it said any ethnicity, that's where you would put your black people in. Mm -hmm. And then maybe a couple of other people. I, I noticed it immediately. Mm -hmm. 
And it was one of the first things that I started to switch when I became an agent, when I moved from being the one that was pulling the headshots to the one that was um, writing the names on the breakdown. That was one of the first things that I switched. But also, I think for me, it was helpful. I didn't come from a musical theater background. I can't at all at all. I mean, I, I've been recently telling this story. I got my musical theater masterclass through Netflix. It was the mid 2000, mid aught, like 2006, seven and Netflix was still doing DVDs. And I got a Netflix account and just filled it with movie musicals and two DVDs at a time, they would send them to me. So that's how I learned it. And so I knew what there were supposed, I knew the prototypes. I knew the archetypes. I think that's a much better word. I knew the archetypes, but I also knew that there were people outside of that archetype that had the right vocal range that had the right kind of type that were funny in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so why are we assuming white bodies into these characters? Why is that the default? Why is that the default? Now, some of them, even when you try, some of things are very much written by white people for white people. And these things don't always sound right in ethnic Mm -hmm. mouths, which is why it's very important to get new playwrights and new voices in that are writing the works takes us full circle. But so just trying to answer your question about type in general, I think that's one of the greatest things about new works is that it's throwing a lot of that on their head. I think that one of the dangers, and this is something that I am noticing a trend of uh, very recently, very deeply, very recently, is throwing this any ethnicity stamp on things. Mm-hmm. But and the ethnicity that you need lived experience for this and everybody doesn't have the same lived experience. And so just saying any ethnicity, what are you wanting that to bring to this role? And also you're saying any ethnicity, but we're bringing lots of diverse talent in front of you, but you're not responding to any of them. Mm-hmm. So do you really want people of color or are you saying you do, but when you envision it, you really envision white people. So it's, it's, it's challenging. And so we are in this really deep, grueling, beautiful, but hard process of changing a lot of that because there are, this is a, this is a very, very, very old art form and you have a certain way, you have people out there who still believe that Black people don't know how to say Shakespeare's words, that those words don't act literally can't fit in our mouths. Right. But that's just because we were excluded from it for the first 200, 300 years. Right. You know, and so now that we are being included, people of color are being included into these conversations, into these rooms, we're maybe reshaping what we think of as type. And so I think right now we're in a big mess of Play-Doh. And I'm very excited to see what comes out of it. So then how, as an actor, if you're looking at that breakdown, are we, is it saying any ethnicity? Is it saying, I see a lot of like actors of all types and sizes welcome. I, you know, these different descriptive phrases, how are they to be going out there as perhaps the new face in a role that you know how do they get that 
bravery to put themselves out, to come out? How do they know which ones they should be doing that for? I don't know if you can answer these, but. I mean, a little bit. It's, it's, I'm so glad you're asking the question in the way that you're asking the question. It's, it's tricky, but yes. So the, the first key to it, I would say is if it really says on the breakdown, any ethnicity, any shape sizes were open to all gender expressions, disabilities, all of the things, believe them until that other, until that organization says otherwise okay. is the first clue. But I think that there is a certain level of discernment that we all need to have when we're looking at the breakdown. And really it's the same amount of discernment that we have for any other things that we're reading and how we're able to just like identify bullshit when we see it, you know? How intentional is the language? How welcoming does this language really feel? Does it feel like you mean me or does it feel like you think you want to mean me? If asking a question and what is your response to that question? And how, you know, so there's there's ways to, there's ways to pull out um, folks that don't really mean it. Is it all white? Do they intentionally have Caucasian for so many roles? But then what are the roles that they are open to any ethnicity for? Does this feel still feel like servitude? Does this feel like, what is the equity that, of the balance that you're seeing? So it's really looking deeper at the breakdowns for clues versus 10 years ago, just getting to go, oh, let me look for my age, my ethnicity, my gender, my age. Yeah. Right. It is, it's a Play-Doh kind of time. You said that. That's really fantastic that there's not a hard and fast answer or solution to how to navigate this. Yeah. Um, I'll just- No, because we're all figuring it out as we go along. We are. And, and hopefully with a spirit of like welcoming and trying to make the whole industry better. Um, and it's something as a musician, I think about the, uh, when we're talking about uh, being open to non-binary performers for certain roles yeah. and what vocally that is a different range usually. Yeah. And as a musician, I'm thinking, how does that work with harmonizing with the blah, 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 blah. And it's like another piece of the puzzle, yeah. um, not just from a, what does it, the actor and the look of the show and how the actors relate, but also how they're interacting with the score of the show. Yeah. So yeah. it is a web to be ferreted out. Yeah. It is. But if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to navigate the web, and that's, the, I think the tricky part right now is that that web looks really scary. And so people still have a little bit of that tendency to go, yeah, but if I hire, this is a terrible, very surface example, but I know that it's conversations that are still happening. Okay. If I hire a black woman in this role, I need versatility of hair. So I'm going to have to pay for a hair artist that knows how to do black hair, but also I'm going to have to pay for a certain level of maintenance. We don't have anybody on our staff who does that. So now we're going to have to add to our staff. That's an added cost just for bringing this black actor on. Mm. And, or so, the, and that feels scary or conversations of bringing on uh, actors with disabilities and okay, well, what are they going to need? We want this deaf actor for this role, but what access services are they going to need? How expensive is that going to be? Is everybody going to be, or can we make sure that we have the intentionality of everybody in the, and then it, 
every question brings three more questions and then you get scared and then you go, okay, I don't think, I don't think we're ready to do that right now. Right. But then when are you ready? Right. When do you solve those problems and ask those questions and at least make a stab at it and yeah. try and put your best foot forward with trying to be inclusive in these ways? Right. Well, this is a good conversation. Okay. <laughs> so we're in the audition room now. The person has their, they've gotten on your list. They've whatever gotten reached out to. They've seen an audition notice. They think, okay, this, I'm going to go up for this. What? I think it's fascinating because you really are like that first wall. I hate to mm -hmm. use the word wall, but like the first person that's going to say like, is the, are they right to move to the yeah. next process? Right. right. Part of the process. I am the first point of access. Their point of access is so much more like welcoming. I love that. Okay. Um, but like you said, you don't necessarily come from a musical theater background, um, but you are also looking at singers. So I'm interested to know, and whatever you say is obviously totally valid. I think asking someone else that was a voice teacher would be a totally different situation. Yeah. What are you looking for in that audition? What makes somebody stand out to you? Yeah. Um, and I'm talking about how they're presenting, how they're acting, and also like song choice. How does that yeah. come into it? Start wherever you want. That was a lot of things. No, it's all of it. And it's interesting because there was, when I was an agent, like I said, that's not where my background is. And we would sit in these auditions for uh, people that we would be considering for representation. And two of the people that I worked with did have one uh, very lived experience, very long lived experience in musical theater. The other just had a, a, a good knowledge background, you know, in it. And so we'd be in these discussions about this talent that we want to bring on. And I would often get vetoed because I couldn't speak to the pitch or the key or the what have you. But I know what sounds pleasant. I know what I respond to. I know what doesn't make me go like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I and so there is something about being in the And now I have 15 years lived experience, you know, yeah. Um, and so I still can't necessarily necessarily tell you if somebody is off pitch, but when they start singing and I go like that, that usually tells me they're off pitch. There's something that is not gelling with the music and the key. There's I can't tell you a key of D from a key of G, but I can tell you that that doesn't sound right with that music. Right. You know, and so what I'm looking for in the room is for your voice to sound right with the music first uh -huh. and foremost. But you know what? It's really about, it's not, it is never ever to me about being the best singer in the room. It is never about being the best actor in the room. It is never about the most polished audition in the room or the most textbook audition in the room. There's a couple of actors in town that are very talented, but give textbook auditions mm -hmm. and that's not exciting. Mm -hmm. And so Anyway, that then I'm starting to get into the weeds a little bit. So what we do respond to in the room is a certain level of confidence, um, a level of preparation and understanding. And all that to mean that you lived in this text long enough to be able to make some strong choices with it, that you understand the words. You're not just saying the words. And I know that that sounds like such a silly thing to say because that's literally what acting is. But so often for an audition, because you just have a quick 
moment with it. There's so much emphasis that's put on. Let me just memorize these words. Let me just say these words. Let me memorize these words. In general, especially early in a process, it is not a memorization audition. I'm going to go ahead and assume as an artist who has done a breadth of work, you know how to memorize lines. What I want to make sure that you know how to do is discern text, is really like mind things out of this text, mind choices out of this text. When I teach, I say to look for opportunities for action. When you're reading this, these words, where are opportunities for action? That could be a big action. That could be a small action. But look for the opportunities for action. And so coming in and, and that, it, that, it, it's there's there's a and there's a confidence to that when you know the material and and you you've thought about it enough that you can ask questions and that if if we give you a redirect you can take that because a lot of times my my least favorite thing to see in an audition room is this beautifully prepared audition that's like oh yes yes i like everything that you're doing hey let, let me ask you this what if we did da, 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 da. can we change this can i see what happens if we do that and they start out great but then as they're going on, you just slowly see them settle back into what they had prepared because yeah. they're that prepared for the audition that yeah. I would rather see somebody. And I will tell you, usually I say you ask four people behind a table and you'll get four different answers. I'm going to venture to say you get five people behind a table and you get four different answers on this one okay. because you, I would much rather see you start off strong in this redirect and then lose your place and go, oh shit, no, I, I totally lost the words because that meant you were in it. Mm, you were in yeah. that moment and you were in that redirect so much that you almost, you didn't know where to go from there. Holy shit. Yeah. Versus slowly just starting to say the words as you had memorized. So I don't know how to describe that necessarily. I don't know how to put this in my, in my book that I'm going to write yet. But there is, uh, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's a confidence. It's a confidence in self. It's a confidence in what you've prepared. There are so many things. This is where I get a little bit on my teacher soapbox. But there are so many things in an audition that are out of your control. So many things. Down to the whether you even get called in. There are so many things that are out of your control. Who's playing the piano for you and how good of an accompanist they are and how well they know the music. What mood the director is in or the casting director. I had a, a fellow casting director just say to me, yeah, this director's response to an actor has everything to do with what's in front of them at the moment. What's on their phone, how tired they are, how da 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 what, what are the distractions in that moment? That's how they're going to respond to an actor. And so there are so many things out of your control. So thinking about what is in your control. What is in your control is how much time you've spent on the material, the choices that you have made, how you present yourself in the room, how you present yourself in the room. You have, and, and people go into these auditions with, I just want to give them what they want. I want, I just, I, I don't know. I just pressure, just pressure to do what they want and to do it right. We don't know what we want and it's ever changing. Again, this one situation that we're in right now, one minute he's thinking 40s for this character. Then he sees somebody young come in is like, no, I think that this actually has to be a younger energy. So within one audition day, this director thinks that this character could be five different things. Wow. 
just based on what they're seeing and responding to. And so you you can't give us what we want because we don't know, but you can put your best foot forward. You can make choices that you're really happy with and excited about and ready to ask, does that feel right to you? Because then that engages them with conversation. So people that like feel good being in the room. I love people who love auditioning. Those are the people that I love seeing in the room or the people. Yeah. I'll just, I'll put a period on that. Cause we only have 15 minutes left and yeah. I know that there's still lots. To there are some other things. Um, I, I think that's a fantastic answer. I loved the, the fact that you say you don't know X, Y, and Z of all the ins and outs of the music, but you know, what sounds good. And I remember being in, I don't know if you were in this, it was for Violet. Were you casting Violet when we did it? Yeah. yeah. And I'm over there like at the piano, I'm going to music direct the show. And I'm thinking about all the notes that this lead singer needs to be able to hit. And somebody comes in who's an actor first and sings. And I'm like, I don't know if they can sing this show. And the director, Sam Woodhouse, was like, we're calling this person back. And I I always <laughs> take that story to singers. I'm like, you don't have to show them that you can belt a D or an E or whatever. Like, show them something that sounds good in your yeah. voice. Because oftentimes the, peop- the people making that decision to call you back have no idea. They're yeah. not going to be. And, and even if it's the music directors in the room and says, yeah, but we need this note or we need blah, 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 blah. It's so much more about your essence and your energy and your ability to work with people and be directed, as you said, um, than it is about the perfection of your voice. And I think that's something a lot of singers are still grappling with as, you know, as you're working through your career, I I hope that they come to that realization. Well, and especially thank you for saying that because there are so many components to every single casting conversation again, going through this process for, we're about to go into rehearsal for Lempika. And essentially a number of the cast members, especially the ensemble and the supporting cast, you do need a certain level of triple threat, but there is going to be some negotiation and all of that. And so for this track, the music director is going, no, I need, I need a singer singer for this role. I hear you about this, but the director's going, I know, but I really need somebody that can act it. I know that that person can sing it, but I really need somebody that can act it. And the dance and the choreographer is going, okay, but I need somebody who can do this. And so each person, each track is a negotiation. It's not just about what you've brought into the audition room. It's about what the entire show needs, what that puzzle piece is and all the things. And then I will also say, I think that the perfect example of everything that we're talking about is Tony Award winner, Katrina Lank. And I feel like I can say this because I used to represent Katrina. I was one of her very first agents in Los Angeles when she was coming, she was doing 99 seat theater. She was doing, she was playing Linda Lovelace and Lovelace, the rock opera. And I, you know, Katrina is a phenomenal talent. She is a phenomenal talent all around. She's a triple threat. Katrina will probably never be the best singer in the room. If you're, we're looking for a Broadway lead and we're doing this new Broadway musical company, whatever it is, she's not going to be the best singer in the room, Mm -hmm. but there's so much else that she brings to every character so much more in essence. And she just so much more that she brings that you go, I don't, I don't need 
note perfect. I need, I need a Katrina Lake type. I need Katrina Lake. Yeah. I don't need note perfect. I need everything else. Yeah. And so then that's how that happens. That's amazing. Thank you for that. All right, let's switch gears. Let's talk about this whole world of self tapes that we're in. And, you know, people saying, um, we're not auditioning in person anymore. Self tapes are here to stay. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think it's going to be a combination, but you're going to tell us what it is. What um, role do self tapes play right now in what you're in the work you're doing and what you see in the industry? Let's just start with that. Yeah, no, here, uh, huge, huge, huge. Self-tapes are still a huge part of this industry. Um, live auditions are essential to theater, but self-tapes are absolutely here to stay. Um, it's a really great first step in the process a lot of times. It's a great, now that we're a little bit more, now that we're much better versed in how a self-tape can work and how useful it is in a process, we're much more um, willing to say, oh, you're not available for this audition. Oh, you're in Oregon when we're, we need you in New York. Go ahead and just put yourself on tape for it. And actually incorporate those tapes into the audition process versus where before it was much more of an afterthought. I mean, you can put yourself on tape, but we're going through this process and Funny. we'll yeah. look at it afterwards if we don't find what we're looking for. Right. What a reversal. Is, yeah. Yeah. And so it, it truly has been that reversal. I will say when I was in New York for callbacks just last week, there were a couple of people who weren't available to come into the room. So we literally just zoomed them in the, you know, and it was just like, okay, so this is a zoom audition. Let's everybody switch gears and let's go in front of the computer. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's very much a part of our lives. So that to say, we are now two years into this. There was a lot that was acceptable early pandemic as far as sort of quality and uh, other things that could be going, things that were um, easily ignored because like, oh, we're all in our homes. I know. I accept. Thank you. I'm so so. Yeah, I heard your cat. It's okay. But we're now two years in and this is now actually a major part of our process. And so there is a little bit more of an expectation of um, professional presentation, just as you would pre present yourself in a professional manner going into an in-person audition. There is an expectation that that's going to happen on tape. Now I need to be able to hear you clearly. I need, I need the sound to be good. I don't want to have to be squeezing my earbuds into my ears to hear you. Um, I want to be able to see you clearly. I understand that these back Drops are now, you know, very much a thing. I don't think everybody needs to run out and buy a ring light and a professional blue screen background, but you should have a clear space to be able to do these auditions that is um, free from distractions. I would never do an audition where I'm sitting right now because you would be looking at everything except me. Yeah, yeah. I think where you have right now, I would absolutely... See, I would even just have you shift to your white wall and just, you know, but just you don't want to have me looking at other things. Also, there's this horrible tendency because we're in front of our computers to be sitting down now for auditions that you would never sit down for. You would never walk into a room and pull out the chair and then sit for that audition. But because we're in front of our computers, it unfortunately, it feels like we have no other way. So that is one thing that I would invest in because these things can be done on your phone. 
We don't need the, I don't, you know, you don't need a DSLR, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes an iPhone will absolutely um, give a good quality. The cameras are great now, the microphone. So just getting a stand that you can have your iPhone on or something that still allows you to be in your space and give yourself the best um, quality audition as close to you would give in the room as possible. The other thing that I would say, and this is the best piece of advice that I made up on the spot and gave to somebody, but now I'm sticking with it, is if you have a live and in-person audition, there's a certain amount of time. Let's say you have, Corey, if you have an audition at, let's say you're scheduled for 1.35 in La Jolla, what time would you leave your house? What time would you get in your car to leave your house? Oh, well, I live like at least 30 minutes away. So I'd probably leave at, I mean, I'm crazy. I would leave at noon <laughs> in case there's yeah. traffic. And so I could get there by one and then I could like relax and be in the space and warm up or do whatever I need to do. Absolutely. Thank you for that. That's actually the answer that I was looking for. Cause hopefully most act artists would be doing that, giving themselves that space to breathe. So they're not running in rush. So that's an hour and a half before you're in an audition that you would have. And when you're in your car, you're doing whatever you need to do to prep, whether you're singing and, you know, vocalizing in your car, like you said, you want to get to the space a little bit early just to be able to put yourself into that right mindset so that when you're called, you're good to go. Mm. We are not giving ourselves that same space for these video auditions. And we're rushing in from of all the things we're like, okay, I just have to schedule it. I, they need it by noon. So, okay, I'll, I guess I, I'll, I can shoot it by 11 and just da, da, da. we're not giving our, because we're busy in the zoom world, just how easy it is to schedule these back to back. So the best piece of advice that I can give to somebody for these self tape auditions is to give yourself that same time and grace and space for preparation mentally that you would for uh for that you would for an in-person audition. I mean, it might be crazy to think that you really get to give yourself an hour and a half of zen before going in and hitting record, but what is the minimum amount of time that you need in order to really feel like you're ready to go into that booth and and do it? What's interesting is they're spending that amount of time shooting it because they have not given themselves the prep time. They're doing 49 takes. That's, that's, that's my other piece of advice. Tell us. Do the preparation beforehand and give yourself three takes total because in a live audition, make this as close to a live audition as you possibly can. Because if you're, you're putting that pressure on yourself, that perfect, you're not, you're never going to get it perfect and you won't get that many chances in the audition room. Yeah. And so if you walk into that booth or wherever your audition space is and you give that audition, you get that. Usually you'll get to do it in an audition room. You'll get to do it at least twice, right? You'll get that. All right, let's get that out of the way. Give yourself a little bit of a redirect. How did that go? Okay. One more time go. And then maybe one more bonus and then be done. Okay. Because there's otherwise, yeah, you're exactly right. You spend an hour and a half in the room beating yourself up in the moment or, or trying to get it right or rethinking or da, 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 make those choices beforehand, go in, nail it, feel good, send it. Yeah. Even if the note isn't perfect, that one note, even if that little thing they tried to do, right? Like, I think it's hard to send in something that's not perfect. There's no such thing as perfect. Thank you. 
Good. No such thing. There is no such thing as perfect. Because you know what? While you may have been concentrating on hitting every single note perfectly, you might have ignored some sort of really perfect choice that could have been made in there. So there's there's no such thing as a perfect audition. Never, ever, ever. No such thing. That's good. So they've got to give themselves those three takes and then forgive. And then forgive. Let go. Yep. <laughs> Send it out. Um, do we have time for one more question? Uh, yeah, let's do one more. Okay. Um, so this is sort of an, a, a, a related topic. I just wanted to get your feedback on auditioning for shows where you don't know the score. Okay. Because that is very much what Loya Playhouse does. These yeah. are new works. And how do we go into an audition when we don't know what kind of music they're expecting or what kind of music, sorry, that is being written for the score? Like we haven't heard it. We don't have a frame of reference. Yeah, you can always ask for a demo. Almost always there's going to be something you can hear. So if all of if all that you're sent is a cut of sheet music, you can always ask the questions, is there is there a demo or anything that I can I can hear this plunked out? Um and if you do get a demo, I think and this sounds like you get to ask a whole bunch of follow-up questions. Limit your questions. Okay. Um but like if you do get sent a demo, you can also ask like, oh, are there other parts that I can hear? Like, do you have demos for the other vocal parts or something? Like, just to be able to get as much, because they're the only people that are going to have this information. And asking questions. That's where I feel like we as artists feel like we don't get the opportunity to do that. But really, you don't give yourself the opportunity to do that. It's much better for us if you're armed with information, the only way you can get that information is by asking the question. So you can also ask the casting director, hey, is there a particular style that they're thinking of? Like, just get us think articulating about it okay. because we might be have never thought about the question. And then to go, oh, you know what? Yeah, it does have a little bit of, you know, this and let us articulate it out to you. Okay. Um, but just, yeah, you ask the questions. I would say you get two emails total, three questions. No, um, no, not really putting that kind of limitation on it. You just, you don't want to be that person that's like, oh, oh one more. Oh, and one more. Oh, be and respectful. one more. Yeah. Be, respectful, be respectful. But also the, the last, yeah, but if you get information, if you need information, get information. Okay. Any last words, something you wish actors knew? In we are process? on your side. We want you to be the one. We want you to walk in and be the, everything that we're looking for because then our job is done. I feel like there's this misconception of the scary people behind the table who are not rooting for you and are mad that you're there. We are so happy you are there because potentially you have just made our lives a lot easier just by coming in and doing what you do. So come in and have fun, have fun. Audition should be fun, have fun. All right. Thank you so much, Nicole. Your words of wisdom, I'm sure, are going to impact everybody listening today. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. You guys, wasn't that an amazing interview? Just hearing all of the truth that Jacole laid out, I was just like getting goosebumps and feeling like, oh, this is what we need to hear right now. That it's not about being the best voice and the best, you know, actor in the room. It's about making exciting choices. 
ah, it's so good. I'm glad she was able to be here with us. I hope it impacted you for the positive. Let's listen to the takeaways. Number one, getting a call for a project after another actor does not make you less valid for the project. It just means your name came in at a different point in the process. Number two, it's actually a benefit if you get to come into audition for the casting director instead of going direct to callbacks. You'll get more time with the casting director and you'll have more experience with the text before the director sees your work and the casting director will know if you're right for the show. Number three, we're in a deep, grueling, beautiful, but hard process of changing expectations surrounding type. Number four, it's never about being the best singer in the room or the best actor. It's never about the most polished audition in the room or the most textbook audition. What casting directors do respond to in the room is a level of confidence, preparation, and understanding. You've lived in the text long enough to make strong choices with it. Number five, mine the text. Look for opportunities for action in the text. Number six, there are so many things that are out of your control in the audition. Think about what is in your control, how much time you've spent on the material, the choices you've made, how you present yourself. Number seven, the director doesn't know what they want. What they're looking for can change. Just come in and put your best foot forward and make choices that you're really excited about. Number eight, the casting director and team are on your side. They want you to be the one. They're so happy you are there. Number nine, have fun in your audition. They want to see someone who is having fun. All right, guys, that's it. I invite you again to join the conversation, join my community, come on over to my website, koriyamaoka.com, join my email community. I send out an email every Monday. I share what the podcast episode is for the week, and I also offer other resources and tidbits and encouragements about just being a performer and being an artist on this journey and trying to balance it with the rest of our life. Um, I hope you are well. I hope that you are safe and I will see you next time right here on studying the song.